There was a soft knock at the door around 10 p.m. at Verlin's home in Wapato, Washington on June 30th, 2015. Verlin didn't even open the door, but she called out to her 18-year-old granddaughter, Rosalita, who she knew was on the other side. She told her to come back when she was sober, that she couldn't have her around her younger sister and her cousin like this. That was a hard rule for Verlin, and Rose knew that. What Verlin didn't know was that it was the last time she'd hear from or see Rose again. I'm Catherine, and you're listening to Murder and Mediumship. Whether this is your first listen or you've been around for a while with the show, if you haven't left a review on iTunes, go hit those five stars and give Murder and Mediumship some love so these undertold stories can reach the ears of so many more. Many of you have expressed interest in another Intuitive Development 101, and I do want to let you know that I will be holding another one soon. The class will open for purchase in February and will begin in mid-March, so be on the lookout for that. If you've already been through one of my development courses, then check out the Intuitively Aligned tiers on Murder and Mediumship Patreon to join in on our bi-weekly practice circles. They're always low pressure and a really community-driven environment to get to know each other and to feel safer in practicing our gifts. All members are welcome to the podcast Discord thread as well. I can't wait to see some new faces in our growing circle, and spaces are limited in order to keep things intimate and feeling safe. Let's get into today's episode. Now, Rosalita Faye Longji, an enrolled member of the Fort Peck, Assiniboine, and Sioux tribes of Poplar, Montana, was born in February of 1997. At the time of her disappearance, she was bouncing between her grandmother, Verlin's home, a few friends' houses, and her boyfriend's place. It was normal for Rose to come and go, but also always understood that if she was using, she couldn't be at Verlin's. She had come by earlier in the day on June 30th, 2015 to visit with her grandmother when it came to her attention that Rose was high, so she was told she had to go and sober up before she could come back and be around the other kids. Rose had been raised by her grandma since about age two, and her younger sister Michaela, who was 13 at the time of Rose's disappearance, eventually came to live with Verilyn along with a cousin of theirs. Their grandmother actually had full legal custody of them. Verilyn and Rose had a special bond from the very beginning. When Rose was born, she had strider, which is a noisy or high-pitched sound when breathing. According to the Stanford Medicine website, it's a sign that the upper airway is partially blocked and can be caused by any number of things from swallowing pieces of food that get caught in the airway to physical defects in the larynx, throat, nose, or trachea. In a lot of cases, it's not really something too serious, but in Rose's case, it most certainly was. When Rose was only 10 days old, she underwent surgery for this because every single time she cried, the soft tissue in her throat would close up and she'd start to turn blue. Her grandma flew to Denver, Colorado to be with her daughter Kim and her granddaughter Rose. Verilyn had a huge family, 10 kids in total and countless grandchildren. But Rose had a special place in her heart and often referred to her as her baby, even before she had legal custody of her. Though her grandmother loved her immensely and took incredible care of her, Rose fell into the wrong crowd and began to use drugs. Her grandmother's response? Well, she put her through a number of rehabilitation centers, and she wanted to see her thrive like she knew that she could. 
Rose eventually dropped out of school in Wapato, Washington, but when she went missing, she was actively working on her GED and was really proud of that fact, as was her grandmother. Like I said before, Rose frequently stayed with friends or with her boyfriend, Isaiah Andrews. So when Verilyn asked her to leave that night, she more or less assumed that Rose would go to someone else's house, as she so often did. She certainly didn't think that Rose would be out on the streets. I've seen a lot of criticism online about how how horrific it was for Verilyn to kick her granddaughter out when she had nowhere to go and was high. The thing is, is she was looking out for the well-being of the other two children, and Rose knew the rules. I can't imagine that I myself would have done anything differently either. Sometimes as parents, you have to make tough calls. And in this case, Verilyn did exactly what she thought was best. And I think it's something most of us would have done ourselves. I just want to pour some love into her there for a minute because we can be so quick to judge the actions of others when we're not in their shoes, nor will we ever be in their exact same situation. Since her disappearance, her grandmother has maintained a Facebook page called Help Find Rosalita Rose Longy. The most recent post made on the page read, Hello, everyone. Just an update. I still haven't received any information from the FBI and detective that's supposed to be working on Rosalita's case. I pray every day for any word on her. Please, 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 whoever has her or knows anything, please contact me. And she provides her phone number or Yakima Nation Police. God bless all the people who are praying for her to be found. I love y'all. And that post was made on March 11th, 2022. So if you're listening to this when it's currently dropping in January of 2023, it's been almost a year since the last update was made by her grandmother. And if you keep scrolling past more missing people posts on that page, this is the same update posted every six months to a year or so. It's heartbreaking. And again, it doesn't seem like much is being done in the way of investigating her disappearance. I read somewhere that... Rosalita's grandmother, Verlyn, has actually written to her every single day since her disappearance and in like a diary style thing. And I can only imagine that heartache. I, I hope that none of us ever have to experience something like that. But to to imagine what she's going through, it must just be beyond words. A lot of you are probably wondering who was spoken to in this case, but even with local resources, there wasn't much information made available to the public, and it seems communication with authorities is hard to come by for her family. However, two years after her disappearance, it seemed as if Rose's boyfriend, Isaiah Andrews, was getting ready to talk to the authorities. Many thought that he knew something about her whereabouts or her condition, but no one was quite clear on what was known by Isaiah. Verilyn had only heard rumors about what had happened to her baby. Some rumors had Rose living in homeless camps or the Union Gospel Mission, and each and every place that Verilyn had been told Rose she could be in, she went and searched to no avail. She was even told that Rose had been beaten, cut up, or buried alive in White Swan, roughly 25 to 30 minutes from Wapato. I can't imagine saying this to a grieving family member, but that is certainly a rumor that has made its way back to Verilyn. Before Andrews could connect with the authorities, if that's what he was actually going to do, because we don't really know for sure, he was gunned down in front of his home in Wapato in 2017 at only 20 years old. He and Rosa were actually high school sweethearts. His killer, Derek Alexander Donato, was caught after shooting and wounding another person in an attempted carjacking near White Swan. He pleaded guilty to the voluntary manslaughter of Isaiah Andrews, an enrolled member of the Yakima tribe, and was sentenced to 25 years in federal prison. 
He was later charged again while in prison for killing Jacob Ozuna on December 9, 2018 in the segregated gang unit of the North Front Street Jail. He was one of three involved in that murder and documented as a Norteño gang member. Ozuna was another Norteño who was suspected to have killed another one of the Norteños in Topanish, Washington in 2018. It makes me wonder if Rose's disappearance was related to these people, if it's true that Andrews really was killed to keep him silent. It's so easy to get ahead of ourselves because truly Andrews' death and Rose's disappearance could be entirely unrelated or could actually have everything to do with one another. We don't know. Fairlin does share this belief, though, as she references in an article written by the Yakima Herald that they, and I'm assuming the Norteños, caught him, meaning Andrews, at the store with his friend and Andrews, and his friend managed to get away. The second time, they caught him at his auntie's, and I believe this is where he was staying and was actually shot and killed. And I could be wrong. He could have been caught the third time, but from what I understand, the second time that they caught up with him was when they killed him. While Verlin and her daughters, Elsie and Tashina Longi, keep in regular contact with the Yakima Tribal Police and FBI, no new information has been made available to them. It makes you wonder if work is actually being done on her case or if she's another name in a box put on a shelf to be forgotten. More recently, her biological mother, Kim, gave DNA to help investigators in the event that something is found so that they can more easily connect anything back to Rose. And the story doesn't get any less sad for Verlin. I believe it's important to note here that many Indigenous people who have experienced a loved one going missing or being murdered aren't affected by that one individual case, that one circumstance, but often there are multiple situations like this in their lives. And Verlin is the perfect example of this. Her life has been one series of tragic event after the next, and her first major loss came in 1989 when her three-and-a-half-month-old son died tragically in a fire. Then in 1997, her 22-year-old son, Michael Mitchell, was shot and killed by Tacoma police. In 2005, her daughter Carla Rose passed away at only 35 years old. And finally, in 2017, two years after Rose went missing, Verlin's son Patrick Mitchell was beaten to death in Poplar, Washington in July of 2017, while he was involved in an altercation with his half-brother Errol. He and Errol had been hanging out with friends the evening of July 1st into the early morning hours of July 2nd. One of the women hanging out with them began beating on Patrick Mitchell and screaming that she had been sexually abused by him. Errol joined her in the beating while Patrick was mercilessly killed. Verlin has seen more pain, loss, and heartache than many of us will ever know. If you know anything about the whereabouts of Rosalita Longi, please contact the FBI or Yakima Tribal Police. If it resonates with you, share this episode that her story can be heard by more. It's really sad that there's only enough information out there and available for barely a 10 to 15 minute episode about this woman's disappearance. More needs to be done and more needs to be circulated. So thank you for listening to this episode of Murder and Mediumship.